Thank you. So, uh, blessed people, uh, what a wonderful opportunity again. The Lord has availed and accorded us to be able to have a conversation regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah. I know the last conversation we had was regarding appearing in the presence of the Lord. What does it mean to appear in the presence of the Lord? And it turned out to be such a tremendous conversation on how the Lord sets a very important benchmark and standard on how we should prepare before Him. And I spoke at a conversation in which I was initially addressing the worship leaders, and then spoke to the entire spectrum of people that are called and elected to stand before the Lord, to stand in the presence of the Lord, to lead worship, all the different forms of worship, touching on the pastors, the ministers of the gospel, the worship leaders that lead worship songs and praise before the Lord, the teachers of the word, and the entire ministry that encompasses the calling of the Lord in the Bible and at this time. And today, I really would like to advance that conversation, but talk about the coming of the Messiah. I know the Lord has spoken with me in a myriad of conversations. I have given you an array of conversations that are ongoing even until now as we speak. And that conversation is constant, relentless, consistent, it is being perpetuated with one single focus from the throne of God Almighty. That conversation is directed towards the one single objective, the glorious coming of the Messiah. And that in itself offers a wonderful privilege to this generation. But the entire hymn of the church can now boil down to one thing, the coming of the Messiah and the requisite preparedness that this generation needs to put in place, that they may not be put to shame on that day. That is a pivotal event. It's an event that will shift the fulcrum, that will turn the clock, turn everything in the life of this earth in the life of heaven, in the life of all creation, in the life of the church, is an irretrievable event. It's an event that cannot be reversed. The glorious coming of the Messiah. So therefore, it's going to be absolutely imperative and powerfully prudent if anyone at this hour can be able to be awakened to the fact that that event is the most important event for which they are created, and that they need to invest. They need to spend more time now in their Christian salvation, more time in their life on this earth, to be able to put together a very earnest and genuine and solid preparation for that day. The Lord Jehovah has spoken with me 
about the glorious coming of the Messiah. And that conversation continues on and on. Every single moment, he comes to speak with me. And this conversation he has with me is non-stop, it's continuous. And I have faithfully relayed to you some of the benchmark conversations in this ongoing trumpeting, awakening, going message that heaven, perpetually exuding to the church, is pouring out to the nations that no one may ever say that they were not given a chance, that all they did not hear, that all I wish I had known. So this at this time becomes yet another expression of the grace of God Almighty extended to the church, extended to humanity, extended to a generation. And I say it many times, even as we have had this conversation, that the very reason for which Christ the Messiah came is that one day a people may be prepared unto the Lord. He is very at the core of his mission his redemptive mission on the earth here was really to prepare people, and that is the kind of discourse, the conversation I want to walk you through. How the generation is instructed to prepare, how the church is instructed to prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah and the greater detail that involves that preparation. So today we are really going to pursue the wonderful expedition in this conversation to look at the breadth and with of this process of preparing for the coming of the Messiah. And I have shared about the glorious stairs of the eternity, the glorious stairs of the glorious kingdom of Jehovah Yahweh. And in that sharing, it has also become the wonderful greatest disposition of love that God is now again further extending to humanity that you have now a people who listen to the prophecy of January 15th, the year 2017. And upon the pronouncements of that prophecy and the detail thereat, thereof, and then you find that a few months after that, then the Lord does a part fulfillment, so then a people mortal in their being are able to behold the glorious stairs of eternity. It is as though this generation has been accorded the privilege, the love, to see how God has laid out eternity for them, laid out a great inheritance in the glorious kingdom of God Almighty, the kingdom of heaven for them. So while walking on the earth here, still mere mortals, but now able to behold eternity, this generation has seen the glorious stairs of everlasting life. In other words, you have seen heaven. Heaven has been laid down before you in the skies. You have recorded them. You have shared the glorious stairway, the staircase, in your Twitter, in your Facebook, 
on WhatsApp, on several platforms that the Lord created, which were essentially meant to prepare the way for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And so this hour offers such an unparalleled opportunity for mankind to be able to reprioritize their lives and prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah. And that's why today I want to begin a conversation here focusing on the glorious coming of the Messiah, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, to take a glorious church, a holy church. And I want to walk you through a process as the Spirit of the Lord will enable us here tonight. Why do we come at this time? I come at this time because I want to give opportunity to the nations on the other side of the earth, the different time zones, the Western Hemisphere and the Far East, that they too may be on board. But uh, at this time, we know very well from the conversation previous, when I talked about, I looked at the book of Amos chapter 4, and I said that when you look at the current dispensation that the church is living through, that you are living in, then you draw a lot of similarity to the times that were chronicled in the Bible, for example, the time of Nehemiah, when the wall was broken, the wall of Jerusalem was porous, and the marauding Bedouins, anyone could access the holy city of God and do vandalism, and so there was a need for restoration. There was a greater need to be able to, to, to seal up the broken portions of the wall. In other words, to solve the problem, to, 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 to seal the porosity, the porosity of the lives of the people. Well, as the wall was being sealed, it was really synonymous at that time by the porosity of the lives that the people inside Jerusalem lived. So it was a double tire, it was a two tire situation process. As Nehemiah, Nehemiah came all the way now to seal up the broken portions of the wall. It was essentially speaking a deeper message into the porosity that had really poured, infiltrated into the hearts of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, owing to the, to the apostasy, to the falling away from faith that had been witnessed in that time and at that place. And so it was such an important process that had deeper roots into the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. Again, you see now when Nehemiah comes to build the wall, it comes to build because of the porosity that had eaten into the city. So the, the walls of the city had become porous. And then anything, everything defiling could infiltrate. The marauding Bedouins could come and step into the holy sites the holy places, and defile and desecrate the holy substance, the holy articles, the holy location of God, the holy real estate property that God has set aside unto himself. And he says, this shall be my dwelling. This shall be the house of the Lord. So there was a lot of desecration that was now happening into this very powerful 
the most important real estate on the earth, the center of the earth that God had chosen unto himself. And so, as Nehemiah is now burdened and pursued by the Spirit of the Lord, and then given this noble mission to go and seal the broken portions, the holes on the wall, and restore the wall so that the integrity, the sanctity of the house of the Lord, of the property of the Lord may be restored, retained again. Then there was a deeper spiritual process that essentially was also percolating deep into the hearts of men, the people that lived in Jerusalem. The Lord was yearning for a people that would seal up all the inroads that had routed into their lives, the desecration of the world, the defilement of the world, and so irreverence was the order of the day. The worship had been perverted. Nobody was seeking God anymore. And their kind of worship was already perverted. Now it was another worship. And I say, if you look at that time, you use that now as your template, then you can see that probably the Bible is repeating at this hour. You see that at this hour also, there is so much porosity that has eaten into the house of the Lord, porosity into the Christian salvation. But last time, the last conversation we had was really on the time of Amos, when the Lord is sending Amos, he is calling him and sending him. And we read from the book of Amos, chapter seven, fifteen, how he was called, and he was sending him to these people that were going to worship in Bethel, and they were preparing to go meet their God. But there was so much of everything that was not right, even in their journey, in their urge, in their, in their desire to go meet their God, everything had been perverted. Outwardly, they expressed the prosperity, but inwardly there was a spiritual rot, a spiritual decay that was happening. And so Amos was addressing this with them, and he was telling them, look, I can see you are leaving to worship. You are longing to worship. And if you look at the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, we are not reading that tonight. I'm just developing a background for this message today. You see that worship had moved. They had gone to an alternative worship. They had left Jerusalem. And then the king then had brought in rebellion. And so they were moving towards Bethel, even as they went saying they were going to meet the Lord, to meet their God, there was so much that was not right, and they were essentially in a rebellious worship. But when you look at the same situation happening today, you see that the same is recurring. That worship today is rebellious. The Christians are worshiping as though they are in a rebellion, as though the benchmarks and the standards of worship that the Lord has set up, in his word, that Jesus came to establish, where holiness became the standard of worship. But you see now a rebellious worship, where holiness has been thrown out, and they're observing another worship. It's as though they're heading in another direction. They've moved out of Jerusalem. They've walked out of the Jerusalem worship, and they're now headed somewhere to Bethel, and they've hewn unto themselves, they've crafted unto themselves another worship. And so Amos is speaking with them and saying, just a moment, can we have a conversation? I see you are rushing 
you have an urge, a desire to go meet God. But can you stop a bit and we talk about the process of meeting God, the processing of those that want to go worship, go encounter God, meet God. Can we prepare them? Then he lays before them the umuhimu in Swahili, the importance of preparedness. Kwa wale wa Swahili, nimesema ya kwamba, ukiwona kwenye Biblia, unaona ya kwamba, nikana kwamba Biblia inajirudia sahizi. Nimesema wakati wa Nehemaya, unaona ya kwamba kulikuwa na ile ukuta ambayo ilizingira muji wa mungu kule Yerusalemi. Na unaona ya kwamba hilo muji wa Mungu na ile ukuta ambalo lilijengwa kuzuia mabaya kuingia kwenye eneo takatifu ilikuwa imeboromoka, imeboromoshwa na ikavunjika. Na sasa watu wabaya wote wakora, wanajisi wote walikuwa naingia pale na kuharibu eneo takatifu la mji wa Mungu. Ndio naona Bwana akapea Nehemiah mzigo mkali sana akarudi hivi kurejesha ukuta kuijenga upya na kuzuia na kufunga yale mashimu yalikuwa yameboromoshwa kwenye ukuta wa Mungu ikizengira mji wa Mungu. Na mnasema ya kwamba ukiangalia maisha ya kanisa siku hizi vile tuna vile tunaishi nyakati hizi pia unaona ni kana kwamba lile ukuta la Bwana ambalo lilizingira kanisa ama maisha ya binadamu mkristo yameboromoshwa tena na unajisi fulani ndio nikasema nikana kwamba biblia inajirudia tena i'm just saying a little bit in swahili that i may bring them on board for those who are abroad na nikasema hata wakati wa amosi amosi juzi tuliona katika kitabu cha amosi nne ni ya kwamba kulikuwa na shida kubwa sana. Jeroboam ule mfalme alitoa alitoa kuabudu kwa Bwana akaipeleka sasa Bethel akaitoa Yerusalemu lakini aliasi Mungu kwa maana alilete pale kuabudu moja ambaye ilikuwa ni kuasi Mungu. Na nikasema ukiangalia ukiangalia kizazi hichi sasa hivi uone vile wanaabudu Mungu pia ni kama ile ile nyakati za Amosi kwa maana kuna kuasi sana kwenye kuabudu Yehova siku hizi. Ukiangalia vile Wakristo wanaabudu Mungu, wanaona Yesu alikuja, Yesu mwenyewe alishuka kukuja kuokoa watu wake, akadhibitisha kwamba kilele cha kuabudu Jehova ni utakatifu. Lakini ukiona vile nyakati hizi uh, kizazi hiki kinaabudu kanisani, nikana kwamba utakatifu ndio ndio alichukua wakatupa nje, wakairusha nje sasa wanaabudu bila utakatifu hiyo manake wamemwasi Mungu. Ndio nikasema nyakati hizi pia nikana kwamba nyakati za Hosea za Amos inajirudia hata Hosea pia. So for those who are uh, Swahili speaking I know there will be a translation but just to bring them board. So you see that there is a repeat going on here. And that's why today I want again to just walk you very slowly blessed people on this processing of the church the processing of the believer for the glorious coming of the messiah now that the swahili people have understood what this is all about right from the beginning if you look at the book of deuteronomy deuteronomy you see the heart of god in the book of deuteronomy 
chapter 7, you see the heart and the longing of Jehovah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm reading verses 6 and 7. He says the following. He says, again, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. I'm reading. He says, For you are a holy people set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be a people for his own possession. That is to say, his very special treasure. I'm reading Amplified. And when you read that verse of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 7, you right away see the heart of God, the longing of God, the desire of his heart. And in all this, you still see the mission of the Messiah. That it was the longing of God, Jehovah, the mighty God of Israel, that he may be able to come despite the fall, the fall that took place in the garden, and now prepare for a people unto himself, his own people. Those that will say that the Lord, he is our God. And the Lord will say, they are my people. These are my people. They are my people. And I say from this scripture, right from the onset, you can see the desire of the Lord, the longing of God, the mission of the Christ, essentially, by the way, to prepare a people that even though the entire earth is there, with all the nations therein, and he says, however, there is a special people, those that will be able to subscribe to his ordinances, his requirements, and his instruction and counsel, which Christ brought. That those that will faithfully, with humility, submit to that, he will call them my people. And that's what he says here. That God, that God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. How awesome to be chosen by the creator, the omnipotent God. I wish one day I can share with you on the enormity of God, just who he is. On these daily conversations I have with Jehovah, with God the Father himself. I wish one day I can give a seven-hour sermon on God. It's tremendous, probably overwhelm you. But this enormous eternal power, the greatest power that being, that be, to be able to love you and now say that I've chosen you to be a special people. What a great love, blessed people. And I say, this is the premise under which Christ the Messiah came on the mission to redeem you. But because we have a long sermon, I need to move on. Verse 7, he says, again, he finished 6 by saying, he is very treasure, that you may become a treasure of God. Can you imagine? And the contrast of that is an enemy of God. And those will go to hell. So the Lord came in a greater disposition of love to be able to beckon his people into the glorious tears, the glorious eternity that we are talking about today, the glorious coming of the Messiah. And I have seen the glorious tears, prophesied them, and they came. Now they are in the, they are in the sky, and the voice said, and they will not be taken back until the church has climbed them, has entered then the recent conversation when he showed me the city of New Jerusalem, the home of the righteous, the future city of the righteous saints. 
And another most recent conversation when he showed me a column all the way from the earth here of clouds all the way and a corridor within the column of clouds all the way up until when he reached up, then he wrote in a glorious writing, capital letters, he wrote heaven. In previous conversations, the wedding ring, when heaven opened, heaven opened and the glory came out and chased away the darkness. And then the glorious wedding rings were lowered at the entrance to heaven that was open above the sky. In other conversations, the rapture of the dead church, I see the dead Christians breaking out of their tombs and they were taken up into the sky. So there is so much conversation. If one really wants to enter eternity, you have so much. You have so much to hang on to, to hold on to, and enter eternity. And that's why I'm saying that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 to 7, he beautifully talks about the mission, the mind of God, the heart of God, the desire of the Lord, that all people be his people, subscribe to, to the obedience he so requires, and follow his ordinance, his ordinance on holiness, his requirement on righteousness and enter the glorious eternal kingdom he has prepared for you. It was never his wish, you can see here in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 7, that it was never his wish that anybody tuned in listening to me may go and languish in hell, where there is eternal condemnation, eternal judgment, eternal suffering. And for a generation that is less tolerant to any suffering, you can imagine what, what a wonderful platform this offers to you to make some substantive decisions on your eternity. To choose God, essentially. To choose Jesus. To be born again and be righteous and holy. Verse 7, he says, Deuteronomy chapter 7, The Lord did not love you and choose you because you were greater in number than any of the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. So this conversation directed to the covenant people, Israel, but you can see the trajectory, the way it points at this generation, at this hour. Because in here, I say, it is embedded the mission of the Messiah. And so you see very clearly that he's saying that this choice, this election, this choice is an election. is not because of anything that the covenant people, Israel, did. Not at all. He said, I've just chosen you. I have elected you to be my people, to be my treasure. What an awesome moment. And when you look at the church today, especially vis-a-vis -vis the time, the coming of the Messiah, the dispensation we've entered into, you look at the church of Christ now, you hear the same conversation echoing, resonating to this generation. And he's saying, not that you've done anything to me, for you to be the elect church that prepares for rapture before I focus on the national revival of Israel. He said it's by election, it's by choice. I have chosen you. I chose you before you chose. How much more then should we run and grab this opportunity and see eternity, blessed people? And still, there is no greater place at, the, at which the election and the choice that God has laid before a generation, the way he is disposed, his disposition of love is established before a people than when you also still go to the book of Isaiah. 
If you go to the book of Isaiah, blessed people, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26, you see the same, the same conversation. And remember, this is being spoken to you tonight in the context of the glorious coming of the Messiah. So if you go to Isaiah 26, and you read verse 20, he says, Come, my people, enter thy chambers. Again, come, my people, enter your chambers. Hide, again, shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the Lord's wrath is past. Then he says, listen carefully. The Lord is about to come out of his heavenly place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their wickedness, for their sin, for their injustice, for their wrongdoing. And he says, the earth will reveal the innocent blood shed upon her and will no longer cover her slain. Again, this conversation talks about the heart of God. So even as we begin this very wonderful talk on the coming of the Messiah, this message on the coming of the Messiah, the glorious coming of the rapture of the church, then you see very clearly that the Lord has already loved the church. In his pronouncement, he has already come out very clearly and said, Come, my people, you enter your chambers prepared for you by Jesus. Shut the doors behind you for a little while until the wrath has passed by. Look, the Lord Jehovah is coming from his heavenly dwelling with a tremendous wrath against sin. And again, now he has elected you, the church, and said, But for you, come, my people, and hide yourselves. Enter here into the eternity are prepared for you. The stairs of Lord. Climb up here. Shut the doors. Hide yourself for a little while. Same conversation, blessed people. And so you see that the Lord already designed the mission of the Messiah. That the Messiah may come and do exactly this. And prepare a people, you that are tuned in now, unto the Lord. A people prepared unto the Lord. How awesome. And in that design, you see in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, you see that he set out a design, a, a, a paradigm, if you will, a design on how that rescue mission would be accomplished. In fact, he had set out a chronology. If you look at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, blessed people, and you can read on and on, but verses 16 and 17, for example. And I'm just using these first few scriptures in order to build you, in order to set you up for a major journey that we have today on the glorious coming of the Messiah. And this journey will end up with the garment, the garment of entry. So the book of Romans, blessed people, chapter 1, you can read on and on, but I say it, Verses 16. Chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter in the book of Romans because down there, then you talk about, you, you see the Lord talking about those he has given up on, those that are heedless, those that don't obey, those that have rejected his call of grace, his call to the grace, to come into the grace of God. But for now, for the purposes of our preamble here, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, 
I am not ashamed, he says. Again, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and punishment. I love Amplified because he really puts on the other side of the coin. He talks about the coming wrath and punishment for those that will reject. Again, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and judgment to everyone who believes in Christ as Savior. And to the Jews first, you see when I say the chronology and the paradigm is set, and to the Jews first, and also to the Greeks. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed in a way that awakens more faith. As it is written and forever remains written, the just and upright shall live by faith. So that is very powerful there, blessed people. He raises a few, a few instruments in this conversation. You can see he's saying that in the chronology of the Lord, to the Jew first. So then you now see the mission of the Messiah. The mission of the Christ. He says, no, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. If you ever get time to read Matthew 15, 21 on, you will hear him say, no, woman, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And you see the reiteration of the Spirit of the Lord here. When he's saying, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. But then he raises very important instruments here. He talks about righteousness. And then he champions faith. That he came to build forth a righteous people, a just people, people that live according to the righteous requisites of God. And then he said, in that way, faith, faith shall be their core. Faith shall be their instrument, their navigator. Faith shall be the, 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 the engine that will drive them. Faith in Christ. Faith in God. But he did not fall short of saying those that fail to observe this law, the law of the grace. He talks about the wrath of God and the judgment that comes to the heedless. That's why when you read the book of Romans chapter 1, further on down, you are going to see 24. Therefore God gave them up because they knew God and they saw it not wise enough to, to, to honor God with their bodies and so forth, and even mentions homosexuality down there, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they say, for that matter, God abandoned them. You can imagine how terrible it is for Jehovah, the only existing authority and power, to abandon you. You can imagine the tragedy. And so you see the mission of the Messiah, blessed people, first, First to the Jew, and then to the Gentiles. But then something happens, and then you see the mission is reversed. The same Romans, as you read, you can read 18 on. 18 to 20, blessed people, as we lay foundation for this message. He says, for God does not overlook sin, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who in their wickedness suppose, I mean rather suppress and strive for the truth. There you go. He talks about, he now talks to you about those that will turn against 
the requirements of the Lord. And this generation, that the wrath of God is coming. We also saw it in Isaiah 26, when he said, Enter your chambers for a moment, for the Lord is coming out to punish the unrighteousness, the wickedness, the unholiness, the ungodliness, the sinfulness of the earth. And he says, he moves on, blessed people, and he says, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them and in their inner conscience, for God made it evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, he says, his invisible attributes and traits, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly Again, has been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him will without any excuse, without any defense, they will be left without any excuse or defense. So that is now the backdrop under which we are operating blessed people, where the two parts have been well defined. Those that will hearken to the voice of the Spirit of the Lord announcing the coming of the Messiah and become the special elect, the treasure of God, the treasured people, my people, the my people church. And those that will be heedless and disobey in this dispensation. And then what is awaiting them is already very clear. He has put it here. The wrath of God, damnation, the judgment of God. But within all these blessed people, all this is essentially is being used here. I'm using all this to be able to, to, to establish for you the core mission of the Messiah. All this is centered on one thing, the core mission of the Christ, the Messiah, Christ Jesus of Nazareth. And that's why within all that, Within all that heedlessness and also the rewards for the holy and the righteous and the obedient, then now comes what the Lord has established as an enabler to enable the generation blessed people. An enabler, an enhancer, to enhance you. And so when you get to the book of James, if you turn to the book of James, blessed people, James chapter 4, then you see how the Lord, even after setting very clearly the rewards of obedience and humility and submission to Him, and the consequences of disobedience, then at the end of it again now, He says, however, still there is more. I have placed an enabler to help you also. If, let's say, you are not able to discern, then you are still being enabled by the Lord. What an awesome God. The book of James, blessed people, chapter 4, verses 13 on, 13 and 14, only two verses. James chapter 4, blessed people, 13 and 14. He says, James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Come now and pay attention to this, because this is amplified, he says, Come now and pay attention to this. You who say, Tomorrow, today or tomorrow, 
We will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and carry out on our business and make a profit. Yet you do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely... Amen. Blessed people, before I got disconnected, we saw that the Lord has set out the true road. And he has also made it very clear to this generation that the two roads are clear. One road for the disobedience, those that will not care, they will not follow anything about Christ, about the mission of Christ, about the agenda of the gospel of Christ, about the requirements of God that Christ brought in the covenant of the grace. And he says, their path heads towards hell, judgment, condemnation, and wrath. The wrath of God. And he says, there is another road. And they are very clearly well demarcated, the two roads. That's what he's saying here. That the other road actually is for the obedient, the meek, those who are submissive. They have submitted to the grace, to the salvation of Jesus. And the requisite benchmarks of that salvation, the pursuit for righteousness, pursuit for a holier living. And he says, for them is the kingdom of God. For them are the stairs, Lord, above the sky here. And I said, before I got disconnected on for, I mean, off the phone, that the Lord is essentially saying that, look, while there is a clear demarcation between the two roads, he has also put in place an enabler. That's what, the point at which we disconnected. When I read from the book of James, chapter 4, 13 to 14, where he says, you say to yourself, come, pay attention to this. You say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and do business there and make profit there. And he says, how can you even say such a thing when you don't know even a thing about your life tomorrow? So, he has placed an enabler in the life of the church, an enabler in the life of the believer, a facilitator in the life of the Christian, by making it very clearly ingrained in their heart that the life you live today is absolutely temporary. Is vain. It's like a vapor, he says, like a smoke. So he has really helped the generation. They stare at the Lord, and he has also made them know that it will really, really pay for you now to focus on eternity, everlasting life, not a temporary life like smoke, like, like, like vapor. He has put in place an enabler to enable this generation make their choices prudently and right. That your choice may be the eternal everlasting kingdom of God. So in any case, he's saying, look, this life is temporary and passing away like smoke, like a vapor. So there is another life in eternity. 
And so it's up to you to choose eternity in hell or eternity through the glorious tears, Lord, in heaven, that you may climb, you may be those people that I saw, that chosen church, the treasure, God's treasure that I saw climbing the stairs and entering into the glorious eternal kingdom of Yahweh. And this enabler here, this highlighter that the Lord has placed for the church, in order to help you even choose whether, where you want to spend your eternity, he says, that enabler is all over the Bible. All over the scripture, he says. Wherever you go within the scripture, you'll always find where the scripture navigates you to understand, awakens you to the fact that this life is temporary. And we see, for example, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in our introduction here, as I wind up with this introduction, blessed people, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 on, which we've read before, and I read it today here, and it says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the glorious eternal kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Again, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 15. I've read 50 and 51. Then 52, he says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now he's talking about the rapture, the glorious tears that I prophesied until they appear that year. And we are waiting for the second phase of that prophecy to be fulfilled. When now the special elect, the treasure of God, the holy saints, the elect of God, will now climb the stairs on the day of rapture and be taken up into the eternity of heaven. That is what he's describing in verse 52 of First Corinthians. Again, verse 52. That is what he's describing in verse 52 of the book of First Corinthians chapter 15. Again, let me repeat from verse 51. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. Again, now he says a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Then he says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then he says, verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written that will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, he says, Where all death is your victory? Where all death is your sting? Then he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is such an awesome piece. This is a beautiful scripture piece 
that is an enabler, an enhancer for you, to enhance you, to make the correct choice in this hour, when the glorious stairs of Yahweh have actually been lowered. The glorious stairs of the God of Israel have been lowered in the skies above the earth here. And he says, this is a special scriptural piece, a scripture piece, that is supposed to help you and to guide you, to comfort you, to navigate you, to make sure that your decision is right. Your decision is towards the glorious, eternal kingdom of those stairs, of the new Jerusalem. Because here yet again, he is submitting unto you that, look, the life you live on this earth is perishable. It rots. It wastes away. It is mortal. It dies. It will come to an end. It is corruptible. It can never last. This is yet another scripture in the Bible. In closing our introduction here tonight, it's yet another scripture the Lord is using to make you understand that as you live here, you need to reprioritize your Christian lives, your lives on the earth, repent, receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, be born again, be baptized by complete immersion, and then in that state of being born again, receive the Holy Spirit and live a holy Christian life. Why? Because the glorious eternal kingdom of heaven is near. The messengers of the eternity Eternity with God in heaven have arrived. They have been well expositioned and displayed in the public place and recorded, captured by your cameras. So yes, indeed, they are here. That means the Messiah is coming. The scripture is clear that when they show up in the, into the scene, then the Messiah is coming. Even the babes know this today. But he's saying here, very clearly, blessed people, he's saying that the life you live on the earth is so temporary, so you'd rather be making some serious choices. You'd rather be making some serious choices about your eternity, where you want to spend your eternity, blessed people. How awesome. A generation. And in finishing, blessed people, I read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Where he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the heart of man, in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And he says, verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil, in their toil, in their, in their, in their endeavors, in their mundane, in their toil. He says, that is the gift of God. So again here, he says, he has enabled you to make the correct choice. Because he says, for every single created being, Created man, man and women, if you will, 
He has enabled them because he says he has deposited in them eternity, the awareness about eternity with God. And if you read on before and after this scripture of Ecclesiastes 3, 3.11, then you see he reaches a place where he says, nothing you do can satisfy your soul except to find that satisfactory relationship with God that Jesus brought. That nothing you do on this earth will ever satisfy you. You will always find that there is a void. Even the wealth of this world, it doesn't matter. The power to be a mighty person. All this you see in the world today. He says nothing and all that will satisfy that which he placed in you. The yearning for eternity with your God in heaven. In other words, the yearning for holiness, blessed people. And that's why I want now to open up this conversation further after the introduction. I want to open up stepwise. Last time we saw that the Holy Spirit, in this mission of the Messiah, coming to prepare a people unto the Lord, a people unto Jehovah, God's treasured possession. We saw very clearly that in this mission, in that mission, as the Messiah came, the Holy Spirit was central, very central to the mission. If you look at the book of Isaiah right from the beginning, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, right from the beginning, blessed people, we can begin probably Isaiah chapter 1 to 7. Yeah, I mean chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. Again, Isaiah chapter 9, 1 to 7, we can begin from verse 1. Where he says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor the Galil of the nations, the Galil of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Verse 2, it says, Isaiah chapter 9, The people walking in darkness will have seen a great light. So he's really talking about the mission of the Christ. Even before the Christ comes, this is what the Spirit of the Lord had already released and revealed about the mission of the Christ. And so when you look at today's church, you wonder, where did the rain start beating the church from? Even right from the beginning, you can see the mission of the Christ. And he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. Verse 4, he goes on to say, For as in the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, 
they bar across their shoulders the road of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destroyed, destined for burning and will be fueled for the fire. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on, from that time on and forever. And then he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty Yahweh will accomplish this. So, blessed people, why have I read this within the context of preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah that we are discussing tonight? He's saying that even as I gave you the preamble on the mission of the Christ, how he came to Yun to set out, to peace out, to curve out a people unto our God, a people unto Jehovah, an elect, a holy people, a chosen people. The people to whom he says, come my people, enter your rooms, look, the stairs have been lowered. And I say, right at the center of that mission of the Christ, was the role of the Holy Spirit. And in order to underscore for you the role of the Holy Spirit, I decided to bring it right from the beginning, where now you see very clearly, blessed people, that the Holy Spirit right from the beginning was sitting at the center of the mission of the Messiah. Even when the time came for now, the coming of the Messiah to be unveiled to Isaiah the prophet. The coming of the Christ to be revealed to the prophet Isaiah. Then you see that the Holy Spirit was at the center. He is the one that came and unveiled to the prophet that, look, he comes to bring life for a people living under the valley of the shadow of death. The Spirit of the Lord is at the center of the mission of the Christ. And that's why you wonder why today's church sometimes operates as though they need not the Holy Spirit. But you are seeing beautifully laid here that actually even before the Messiah comes, the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals how he is going to come, the mission he would bring on whose throne he would sit, even unto the end, sitting on the throne of David. You remember in that visitation when the Lord took me all the way to Jerusalem, to the original place where the throne of David was. And then the Lord gave me David's own harp, 
the original half, the half he played in those days. And the Lord said, this is what he used, and he made me play that half. But he took me the throne, the exact position of the throne where David sat. In other words, he took me to show me where the Christ, the Messiah would reign from. How awesome a generation. But you see, in the unveiling before the Messiah comes to the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, that the Messiah would come before the Messiah appears into the scene, into the landscape, then you see, he has already revealed to Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord has always been at the center of the mission of the Christ to prepare the church. Look at the book of Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, Psalm 110, he says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Look at that now. Again, the Spirit of the Lord reveals to David many hundreds of years before then. How the Messiah would appear, accomplish his mission, crush the enemy, prepare a people unto the Lord, and then exalted, be raised, be raptured up, and seated on the right hand side of God the Father. Again, the Spirit of the Lord at the center of the mission of the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord has always been at the center of the mission of the Christ. So there is no way the church today can say, look, we don't need the Holy Spirit. How? How would you make it then? How would you make it into the kingdom of God? The stairs are lowered. If you look at the book of Matthew, blessed people, after the prophecies were spoken, the prophecies were spoken way earlier. I'll read one more prophecy and then I'll go to Matthew. If you turn with me, blessed people, the book of Daniel chapter 7. Again, the Spirit of the Lord revealing to the prophets of Yahweh how the Messiah would come. And his dominion and the establishment of his dominion, how it would be set up. In the book of Daniel chapter 7, before we go to Matthew, when now the Messiah comes, and again when the Messiah appears, you'll see that the Holy Spirit will be absolutely center place, at the center of his appearing. But Daniel chapter 7, 13, 14, he says, In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one who was like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, look at when he was going up, and was led into his presence. Look at that, he has finished his mission. Verse 14, Daniel 7, he says, He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never ever be destroyed blessed people how powerful i said that 
in the mission of the Christ that I gave you in our abstract and preamble, in our introduction, you saw very clearly the mission of the Christ to prepare a people unto our God, unto Jehovah. But it's so beautifully powerful now that when we now begin to discuss his mission then, then the Holy Spirit takes the center stage, the prophecy of his coming. You can see the Holy Spirit is revealing to the prophets of Yahweh. He reveals to Isaiah the prophet. He revealed to David, the prophet, David his father. And then now, here also, he is revealed to Daniel the prophet, the anti-prophet. And he has revealed to Daniel how he comes, accomplishes the mission, and then is enthroned. And Daniel says very powerfully here, everlasting dominion, blessed people. Given authority of God, given the glory of God and the sovereign power of God. The Holy Spirit revealing earlier, much earlier before he shows up. Much earlier, blessed people. How powerful. How much we need the Holy Spirit in being part of this mission of the Messiah. You cannot divorce it from the Holy Spirit as a church. And that's why you see the tragedous situation that has befallen the present church. And that's why I began by saying, it's as though the days of Nehemiah are here. The days of Amos are here. The days of Hosea are here. When they have walked away from true and genuine worship, the worshiping of the true, the one and only true God of Israel. Blessed people. How awesome. And that's why, let us now see, upon the appearing of the Christ, when now the Messiah appears, when he appears into the scene, blessed people, so turn with me right now, the book of Matthew, blessed people, Matthew chapter 1. We read only two verses. Again, I'm using this small segment before I advance the conversation tonight on how to prepare for the Messiah. I'm using this small segment to exalt the enormity of the Holy Spirit in the mission of the Christ and in the life of the church. Your necessity, your need for the Holy Spirit to enter the glorious tears I prophesied. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. 2021 is suffice. After the prophet is given and the Messiah shows up, look at what happens. He says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, blessed people. Aye! Look at the incarnation of the Christ, that God may come down where the human nature and connect with the human form in order to deliver man and show humankind the way, the way to the glorious tears, to the glorious eternity of God, whose tears have been lowered. Look at the position of the Holy Spirit right there. So why is this generation walking without the Holy Spirit? Why is the church of this hour walking without the Holy Spirit, brethren, fellow people? 
Ten of citizens of heaven. Those of you that long to enter, why are you walking out the Holy Spirit this generation? And he says, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give back to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. How awesome, blessed people. The Lord, the, the Lord just enabled mankind. He brought the Holy Spirit at the center of the mission. How mighty is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? And you see now that when the Messiah appears, the Holy Spirit is at the center. And so if there is any discussion we are going to have tonight on how to prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah, the Holy Spirit will have to take a center stage. He will have to be central. And he says, blessed people, the book of Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, he says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead, ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. It is the Holy Spirit that raised this heavenly host. Even when the Messiah appeared, and now it's time to reveal the Messiah to the universe. To reveal the Messiah to the constellations of the universe and to mankind on the earth. He raised the heavenly host. These wise magi, they simply followed the leading, the navigation of the Holy Spirit. I repeat verse 9, the book of Matthew 2. He said, after they had heard, after they had heard the king, they were on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented unto him, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another route. Again, it is the Holy Spirit not only guiding them to find the, 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 the Christ that now has been incarnated, the King that is born, but the Holy Spirit reveals to them not to follow the same route again, to use another road. How centered then is the Holy Spirit on this mission, blessed people? The mission of you listeners to enter heaven, to become God's elect. And you see, in finishing this segment here, blessed people, in the book of Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, still the Holy Spirit, the Messiah has now come, the Christ has come, and the Holy Spirit is still centered, very central in now revealing the Christ, not only to the Magi, to the wise men from the East, but also now 
to the Hebrew people. Luke chapter 2 verse 25 it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for, for the consolation of Israel, meaning at that time, those are perilous days. The Messiah has not come. Israel is going through so much. So the consolation of Israel was awaited according to Scripture and the writings of the prophets to come and console Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Messiah. Look at that. The Holy Spirit at the very center of revealing the Christ to Israel and to the nation. What an awesome message tonight on the significance and the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. The people, the Messiah came to prepare for our God. And he says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Christ. Verse 27. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple court. Again, the Holy Spirit revealing the Christ. One of his major, major roles is to reveal the Christ, reveal to the nations, reveal to Israel, reveal to the church, reveal to the believer. That the more he reveals the Christ to you, the more you are drawn closer to Christ, Knowing his identity, knowing the requisite of being Christian, Christ followers. And the more he facilitates you to be able to strike those yardsticks, those milestones, those benchmarks, those requirements of being a holy Christian that enters heaven. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do with him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, verse 29 of Luke chapter 2, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have beheld your salvation, which you are prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Gentiles had not yet been revealed to about God's redemptive plan for men, about God. And the glory of your people Israel, meaning he is now coming from Israel, he is the glory of Israel. To them it had been revealed the redemptive plan, but now the glory of Israel, the Messiah, the King of glory. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 2. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken again. I wonder why you fear to be spoken against at this hour. But look what happens to the Messiah. And the sign to be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too. But when you look at verse 33, this entire motif, this context of scripture, this piece of scripture, where the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon, again, the Holy Spirit is in a mission to reveal the Messiah now. But he reveals to Simeon that, look, you will not die until you have seen the arrival of the Lord Christ. And I know that you know that speaking with you is also one, is one to whom it has been promised by the Holy Spirit and God the Father himself that he will have, he will not die in Jerusalem. He will not die until he has seen the coming of the Lord Christ to take the church in the rapture. In fact, he has already seen how the Christ will come and take the Holy Church, the reason for our conversation tonight. How beautiful a dispensation, blessed people. That you two now, you are hearing from one about whom Scripture promised he would come to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Even most importantly, in the context of Luke chapter 2, verse 33, that it has been promised him, he has seen already, the coming of the Messiah for the rapture, the gathering of the saints. How powerful to hear him audibly, the physical voice. But such was the case with Simeon too. And then he says here, there is something very exciting here as we discuss, as we finish this segment on the role of the Holy Spirit, on the mission of the Christ, and then I'm going to come to you on that mission. How he came to prepare you, that you may be able to take some of these instruments and prepare with the help of the Holy Spirit, the centrality of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying here, blessed people, something very exciting here. The child's father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. Sometimes you read this scripture and you wonder, who was it on the earth that first identified the Messiah? Sometimes you wonder, was it the mother? Was it Joseph? Or was it Simeon? Because the parents were shocked at what was said about him. The Christ. As though they were not aware this is the Christ. So sometimes the complexity that perplexes within Scripture. They were marveled at the sayings of Simeon as though they were receiving it for the first time that this is the Christ. Because the Spirit of the Lord has now revealed to Simeon and moved him, caused him to go to the temple. Remember, Anna used to go to the temple, 84 years old, the prophetess. She used to go on a daily basis there, the widow. But now for Simeon, he never went to the temple on a daily basis. Only the day when the Christ was being brought, then the Spirit of God moved him to go to the temple now on that day. And then there you go, he beheld the salvation of our God, the Lord Christ, the Messiah. 
So there is so much in there if you have time, you can dig through. But it's amazing sometimes you need the leading of the same Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon, then Simeon can see the Messiah. But it looks like the parents are shocked about this thing. They're wondering, wow, why has he spoken like that about the child? And so, looking at the role of the Holy Spirit, blessed people, then now I shift you to the Jordan River, by the Jordan River. And there's so much that he that speaks with you knows about this event. By the Jordan River, blessed people, And he says, the baptism of Christ Jesus. Again at that place, you see the central role the Holy Spirit plays in really dedicating Jesus into his mission, into his office of the Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer. I am walking with you tonight to be able to underscore to you the fact that as a Christian today, you need the Holy Spirit at all times in order to enter the glorious kingdom of Yahweh, whose glorious tears I already prophesied, January 15th, 2017. And the part fulfillment, March 11th, last year, 2018, Lord recorded and shared globally. I'm simply underscoring unto you that this church, the church of this hour, today's church, the present day church, your postmodern church, by ignoring the role of the Holy Spirit, they will not see the glorious kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom of heaven that I have come to announce. That is the main theme of tonight's conversation. And I'm shifting now to the baptism of Jesus. And we see very clearly that baptism was being executed at that time as a symbol of repentance, as a sign of repentance, that you have repented as it is today. That you have repented baptism, blessed people. The Christ has already appeared. And yet in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, to empathize, to feel, in other words, with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin yet was found without sin, found to be without sin. Look at that, blessed people. Baptism is for repentance from sin. And yet now he's telling me here that Christ Jesus the Messiah is being baptized here, but he is without sin. Baptism is a sign of repentance. Baptism for the remission of sin, to, to move you away from sin as a sign that you have repented from sin. But I've just read here, blessed people, 
very clearly here that the Messiah was without sin in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, and no deceit or lie was found in his mouth. How then is, is the Messiah? Why is he coming to be baptized? I am simply walking you tonight through the entire mission of the Christ. The mission of the Messiah from the prophecy when the prophets prophesied that he would come. And the centrality of the Holy Spirit in that prophecy for a telling of his coming until he appears into the sin. And you see that the Holy Spirit is sitting at the very center of the mission of the Christ. And now he has appeared. He has appeared into the sin to execute the agenda, the mission of God. And now we see Simeon can only identify the Christ through the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph are being told, no, conceived of the Holy Spirit. This incarnation is happening by the Holy Spirit. The central role the Holy Spirit plays, giving the prophecy, bringing him, and then now, the time to reveal him, the Holy Spirit is at the center. Then at the baptism, blessed people, when he's being baptized, amazing. Without sin, he's being baptized. Why was he being baptized without sin? And at this place, before I tell you why, at this place, in the book of Matthew chapter 3, at this place is an awesome interaction with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, I'm reading verses 13, 14, all the way through, you can go up to 16 if you will. But I'm simply underscoring the centrality of the Holy Spirit in the entire cascade, the entire journey of the Messiah, in his mission to redeem an elect, a holy church, that will climb the stairs and enter eternity, the Holy Spirit of Jehovah. The precious Holy Spirit, my one and only friend. And he says, verse 13 of the book of Matthew chapter 3, he says, from verse 13, he says, Then Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Verse 14, he says, But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Verse 15, he says, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then it happened. Verse 16, he says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and alighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, spoke, saying, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Again, the role of the Holy Spirit appears there at the center. It's amazing because this is now the first place probably, probably where you see the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the trinity of God, for the first time in the New Testament, you see now, they show up. They show up now. But emphasizing on the role of the Holy Spirit in unveiling Him, in revealing the Messiah, the Holy Spirit, He now comes, God the Holy Spirit, and lights on Him the way He did to the one that speaks with you here on January 1, 2009 at Mungu Stadium, Kakamega, at night. He made sure when no birds are flying. Then he came the white huge dove, like a dove, and lighted on his speech with identifying the Messiah. Then now God the Holy Spirit lights on him. Again it is the Holy Spirit that really dedicates him into the office of the Christ. Inaugurates him, blessed people. The role of the Holy Spirit on this mission to bring you to heaven. The Holy Spirit, blessed people. It's amazing that the Lord Jesus takes upon the human nature, the nature that the humanity, sinful humanity, the nature of the sinful humanity. He comes and then takes over the sinful nature of man. That now his holiness in his divinity may now deliver, may sanctify sinful man. You understand? Have you caught that blessed people? He comes from heaven and then he wears the human nature that is sinful and then does what? Then he's now using his holiness to be able now to deliver men, to clean up men from sin. He does that. To set an example, blessed people, the Holy Spirit of Jehovah, the importance of the Holy Spirit, precious people, the Holy Spirit of Jehovah. And he says, in the book of Mark chapter 1, we are reading 10 to 11, maybe 12 if you have time, Mark chapter 1, he says, just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven torn open, rent apart, being rent apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit of God blessed people. And in a fast forward, blessed people, that I may be able to make a summation to summarize for you the centrality, just how significant the Holy Spirit is. Turn with me, blessed people, 
the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew 26, blessed people, still bringing to you the role of the Holy Spirit on this mission to bring you to a place where you will be able on that day to climb the glorious stairs of eternity. And all this is essentially speaking to you. If the Holy Spirit was so important on this mission, then how about you, the church? How much more important then is the Holy Spirit to you that you may prepare? So look at these blessed people. The book of Matthew 26. I am reading 36 to, you can read on and on, but I'll read on a few. It says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, Matthew 26. He says, He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, Matthew 26. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now look at why I bring you here. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Look at that blessed people. Christ the Messiah has now been identified at the Jordan River. And when you read the book of Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness. To be tempted there and strengthens him and now builds him through fire, the fire of trial. The fire of trial. The Holy Spirit builds him there in the Judean desert. The enemy comes, shows him the cities of the world, tells him, turn the stones, the rocks into bread. And the Spirit of the Lord that led him there, that anointed him at the Jordan River, now led him to the wilderness. He is now seasoned there. He is trained. He is seasoned through the fire. The fire of trial. And he does his ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. Raising cripples. Preparing the church. And then. He goes on blessed people. 
when it's time to go and accomplish his mission in the garden of Gethsemane, where now the flesh is weak. And he's asking the father, if it if it's possible, can you pass on this cup away from me? And then he says, the spirit of the Lord is the one that came and enabled him to go and finish the mission. The flesh is weak. But the spirit is willing. Again, emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit, blessed people. How awesome. He says that the flesh is weak. And it's the Holy Spirit that now enabled him in that human form to go and accomplish the mission of crushing the enemy on the cross. But something exciting for you, blessed people, on the Holy Spirit. As I now finish this part and enter the next most important part on how to process the church. How to prepare you for the glorious kingdom of God. It says, blessed people. Now, the book of Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 to 20, 18 to 20 is all right too. He says from verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to the Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, he says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of God the Son, and in the name of God the Holy Spirit. Look at that now. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. Why have I, why have I brought this in? The centrality of the Holy Spirit. So you can literally say that the Messiah was brought by the Holy Spirit through prophecy. And it's the same Holy Spirit that now brought him to hit the landscape at Bethlehem. Now, when it was time for the Messiah to begin his ministry, now look at this now. The Messiah is baptized at the Jordan River. Heaven opens and God the Holy Spirit comes, inaugurates him to be successful in his mission, to empower him on his mission, take him to the wilderness, season him there through fire of trial and bring him out on stronger faith and energized and anointed, raise cripples, defeat the enemy, even unto the cross. So you can say he entered by the Holy Spirit unto his ministry. He entered, and then when he's leaving, also by the Holy Spirit, let me put this right. He entered his ministry through baptism, 
Only through baptism that the Holy Spirit comes, the baptism of complete immersion in water. And when he was exiting the sin, when he was leaving the sin, he left the instruction on baptism. The Great Commission is go and baptize all the nations in the name of God the Father, in the name of God the Son, in the name of God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come on them and they will be baptized with fire with the Holy Spirit and fire, and they'll be able to be seasoned through the trials, the testing of fire, and when the stairs are lowered, they'll be able to climb the stairs on the day when I come for them. Are we together, blessed people? What an awesome enabler, facilitator the Holy Spirit is to empower the Messiah on this mission, and then empower the church also. So you really need the Holy Spirit. Regardless of 2019, how modern the generation may be. He entered into his ministry through baptism. Through that, through that then the Holy Spirit came on him, empowered him. And when he was leaving the scene in Matthew 28, he now lived also through the Holy Spirit. Through baptism, in other words, in other words, the Holy Spirit, centrality of the Holy Spirit, commissioning the church, telling the disciples, go and baptize the nation. And if you baptize them in water, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire will befall those churches, those nations. And then now, they will be seasoned like I was. They will be successful as I was victorious as I was, and prepared wholly for the kingdom of God when the stairs will have been lowered, and when I come out, take them into eternity. Isn't the Holy Spirit such a centerpiece of the Christian conversation, blessed people? And that is why I now would like to look at one little last segment here on the Holy Spirit. Now that the Messiah has come, empowered by the Holy Spirit, brought by Him, how then did He prepare the church? And I think this becomes the climax of our conversation. How did the Messiah prepare the church? Now we have seen how important the Holy Spirit is, and now He has already come, and He has taken the Holy Spirit and he has now prepared himself for ministry. I've talked about his entry and his exit. And there is so much I can share on his exit too. When he's resurrected, it's also the Holy Spirit that resurrected him. The same Spirit of God that resurrected the Christ is able to resurrect your weak bodies on that day. The Holy Spirit is central. Very, very central. And central. Is center and central in the Christian life. How then empowered? Let's go back now to when he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. How did the Messiah prepare the church then? 
He says here, uh, precious people, in this processing of the church, which is what you need to hear now, to process you to see eternity. The book of Psalm, Psalm 127 verse 1, he says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. That is how he began by building the church, having been energized by the Holy Spirit. In other words, after the Holy Spirit had empowered the Christ, coming upon him, giving him power, then the Messiah now set out on the mission. What was the mission as we saw? To prepare a people unto the Lord. In other words, to prepare the church. To birth out the church. The people that shall, shall be known by the name of the Lord. As God's people. The people after the Lord. And when he sets out by the help of the Holy Spirit. To now launch the mission. Launch the church. Look at what he says. Unless a house be built by the Lord, everyone else built in vain. In other words, the Lord came. When it was time now to execute the mission, he launched. He launched the church on the rock. He launched the church on the rock that is the Holy Spirit. The rock that is the Spirit of Yahweh. When it was time for him now to begin the processing of humanity, in other words, to build forth a people, to purchase a people unto our God, he began to build them on the rock that is the spirit of Yahweh, the Holy Spirit. He built the church on the rock. And in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Then suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Before we go further, verse 3 says, they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated out and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, enabled them. And down there they evangelized. So why do I bring this to the fore? Now look, the Messiah has been identified at the Jordan. 
He has been empowered and he has gone and been tried. So his faith and his mission is now seasoned through the trials of God. He invigorated for ministry. He comes, and when he comes, he launches the church on the rock. The rock that is the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of Jehovah, the spirit of the Lord. But first of all, before we handle the book of Acts chapter 2 that I've just read, verses 1 to verse 4. What really was the mission of him setting up a church? The church. The Lord came to set up the church. Why? Because of the fall of man. Men had fallen and disconnected from the Lord. Number two, his mission, therefore, was to come and connect fallen men back to his creator, his God. And that's why our theme today is meeting the Lord your God. So number two in his mission was really to come and connect fallen men back to his maker, back to his God. Number three, because of the fall, to come back and install repentance through the blood and the cross that he would bring to install repentance that mankind may have another root plan B, whereby now they can repent and access again. Repentance. Why was this important then? Why was this repentance important? In the book of Genesis, blessed people, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, after the fall of man, after he drove the men out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flashing flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That is the importance. That is why the Lord Jesus needed to come here to reconnect man back to his God. Because the way that leads to God had been shut out of the fall. Had been shut. Totally locked down. He, again, the cherubim of glory, right there. Guarding the way that leads to the tree of life. So in other words, you may begin to understand that by saying, that the stairs have been lowered, the glorious stairs of everlasting life have been lowered in the sky here and the heavens above, is essentially saying that this is the hour in which the Lord is using these messengers to process thought. Those that now will go to meet God, those that now will accept the requirements of Jesus, everything the Lord laid for them, and observe them in their lives, and go and see the tree of life. The tree of life. Go to the place where the tree of life is. Because in Genesis 3, it is essentially the tree of life. 
3.24, he blocks them to access the tree of life, where God the Father is. It has always been about the tree of life. If you look at the beginning in the Bible, when he creates man, he sent us the tree of life. The tree of life sits at the center of creation. He says at the center of the garden, I have placed the tree of life. And that tree, you know, if you access and you eat off, you live forever eternally. That's why when they fall, death comes, and then God closes their access to the tree of life. Let's their access even live forever. It has always been about the tree of life. And also, at the end, at the end really, when it's all said and done, it's about the tree of life, accessing the tree of life. The book of Revelation 22 is about those that now finally access the tree of life. It's always beginning with the tree of life, ending with the tree of life. Accessing the tree of life. That's why the Messiah came. Because access had been closed off, had been cut off blessed people. And you see from the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 7, he says, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance, not deliberate. He saying that after the access to the tree of life had been cut off, and now we understand that where the tree of life is, that is where God the Father himself is. The tree of life. Blessed people. Where the tree of life is, that's where God the Father is. And access has had been closed off, shut down, totally locked out. Mankind is out, totally is on the outside now. And during the interim, again now waiting for the Messiah, look at the practice. Only the high priest could now access where God is, where the glory is. But never without the blood. Again, pointing at the Messiah, that only the Messiah now can come and open this way. Only the Messiah. Everything, if you look back, everything within the old setting was set to be able to point at the coming of the Messiah and how he'd open an access of repentance, access of grace. That mankind may access the tree of life again. Again, like I told you, if you read the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, again I read it here, Genesis 2, verse 9. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says the following, blessed people, Genesis chapter 2, it says, Genesis 2, verse 9, it says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground.
trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we subtract the tree of knowledge of good and, good, good and evil, the tree of life is at the center of the garden. That is all that mankind needed to know. The tree of life. The tree of life sitting at the center of the garden of Eden, blessed people. The tree of life. So, it began with the tree of life. The tree of life. And access is denied, blessed people. Access is denied. Revelation chapter 22, he says from verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Revelation 22, I'm reading verse 1. He says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops, of fruit, yielding its fruit every, every, every month, its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree, or rather, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. At the center, the center of the garden, the tree of life, the center of heaven, the tree of life, the center of the new Jerusalem, the tree of life. And then in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 51, you see that when the Messiah goes to the cross, then the curtain ruptures and he opens the way now. And through that way now, the church, we are now, the church, we are now able to access. The church is able to access where the tree of life is, where God himself is. Where God himself is, blessed people. You saw Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. The tree of life at the center. And he says, Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's always about accessing the tree of life. That is where God is. That is where the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel is. And so, now you see, I have taken you to the book of Acts chapter 2, and I've read verses 1 to verse 4. And you see now, when the Lord begins to process you, process the church, He launches the church, a people unto our God, a select people, the election of God. He launches them on the rock that is Yahweh. Unless the Lord builds a house, there is no house. And he emphasizes, he reiterates that in the book of Matthew 7, 24 to 28. 
rages. Whatever comes at wind and storm and tsunami cannot move them. The solid foundation. So let us look at now how he processed. And I'm skipping many things, blessed people. I am jumping many, many things. Because if you go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, blessed people, one of the things I'm skipping here because of time, if you go to Genesis chapter 11, before we begin the garment, Genesis 11, blessed people, and I'm reading from verse 1, that you may understand the significance of the Holy Spirit in the mission of the Christ that he presented before you in the book of Acts chapter 2, the role of the Holy Spirit. He said, build your life on the Holy Spirit. Build your life, build the church on the Holy Spirit. Build your salvation on the Holy Spirit. He is the rock eternal that you see in the book of Daniel chapter 2, 34 to 35, and 44 to 45 for the interpretation. The rock cut out, not from a mountain, not by human hands, but by God himself that came down from heaven and smote the idols of the world and built forth the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, launch your life, launch your salvation, launch your walk on the Holy Spirit. Then you see the glorious eternal kingdom of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of the Messiah. The kingdom of the Lord. The kingdom of Yahweh. And to emphasize to you the importance of the church. And that's why you see a tragedy happening today. The present day church has launched her salvation on something else. Not the Holy Spirit. They don't even know how to address him. And yet if they had known him, oh, oh, how I wish they had known him. He would have revealed to them that Christ is holy. And Christ's followers must be holy. That God is holy. And his kingdom in heaven is holy. That salvation of the grace is holy. Not what you see being preached on TBN. The cheap grace without holiness. Forget about that. That is something else. Oh, how I long that they would have known the Holy Spirit. He would have told them that Christ is holy. God is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. Salvation of heaven is holy. The grace of Christ is holy. The grace was never meant to portray the picture you see on global Christian TV, where they are blatantly and openly preaching by saying that unholiness is also acceptable. Never, never ever. That is something else. That is not the salvation of the grace that the Lord has sent me to come back here and institute the blood and the cross at the very center of. To restore. This cheap grace you see preached on American Global TV, that is something else. He's saying, you need the Holy Spirit, even the Messiah. He launched on the Holy Spirit at the Jordan River. And then from that point on, that house was built on the rock. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now 
all the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They say to each other, come let us make bricks and bake them what? Thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone <laughs> and tar instead of mortar. They used brick instead of rock <laughs> and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower. A tower that reaches to the heaven. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the entire face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Verse 6. The Lord said, If at one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come let us, look at that now, not let me, come let us go down and confuse them, the Trinity, and confuse them, confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the face of the earth, and stopped the building of the city. That is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language, because the Lord confused the language in the entire world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. So you really have a beautiful picture there of building the house outside the will of God. Building the house not on the rock. He says, if they had only chosen to build it on the Lord, on the rock of ages, on the rock that is Christ, the Messiah. But look, they wanted to reach heaven without the Christ. The Tower of Babel, look at that. They are saying, let us make a name for ourselves. In other words, Representing now the pride of men that has consumed the present day church also. Today's church is also trying to reach heaven without Christ. They say Christ, 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 Christian, 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 grace, 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 saved, saved, saved. But they are not willing to submit under the processing of the grace that the Christ brought. The grace of Jesus was never meant to multiply sin in the lives of the Christians, never. The grace of our Lord Jesus was essentially meant to enable us through baptism to receive the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit would drown and crush and besmatch the sin of this world and reprioritize you to incinerate and set ablaze the sinful desires of your soul 
and bring your soul to conformity with the will of God. So this you see in the church today, that is the aberration from the truth. It is a miscalculus, a miscalculation in the church. The salvation of Christ was essentially meant to be able to facilitate the church to wear the righteousness of God. And let me tell you one thing. That righteousness of God in Philippians 3, 8 to 10, that righteousness is holy. And so he's saying that you ought by this stage in your lives of Christian salvation to launch your life upon the rock that is the Holy Spirit. And the example I've given, the Tower of Babel, when they built it outside the realm of God, outside the will of God, were crushed. And then you see the pride of men was crushed. You see the human effort was crushed. You see Genesis chapter 3 verse 7, when the man has fallen, then he's using feet leaves trying to stitch it to cover himself, and that crashed, it failed. Blessed people, you see, error, worship error, doctrinal error, in that Genesis chapter 11 that I've read, the Tower of Babel, when there is doctrinal error, doctrinal mistake, rejection of the grace of Jesus, rejection of God, Rebellion against God, it represents the sin of man. Lucifer himself, how he was flushed from heaven. Attempting to reach God without Christ. Isn't that what you see in the present day church? And yet when the Messiah came to show us the way, where is the human body? Then definitely he gave us the godly and divine wisdom that we ought to follow. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders thereof build in vain. Meaning, salvation was brought from heaven. The way you see it in Acts chapter 2, only God gives the grace, nobody else. Unless the Lord gives you the grace, build the house, build your salvation, you cannot make it to the glory of hell. You need the Holy Spirit. You really need him. And he says, building on the rock that Jesus brought, essentially talks about the stability now, the security, the assurance that you'll have when you build your salvation on the rock that is the Holy Spirit. And the stairs of the Holy Spirit have been lowered, the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. I've been Lord. You really need him now. And he says, blessings come only from God. Eternity comes only from God. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders there are building base. They are heading nowhere. Coming down, tumbling down, like the Tower of Babel. 
Oh, how I pray that on that day of rapture, you may remain standing. In other words, he says, it is the Lord that sustains your salvation, your life, your security, your worship, your holiness, your righteousness. Without him, you cannot. And he has provided the Holy Spirit to be the facilitator of achieving those milestones in your Christian life. So these are some of the areas I was skipping before I get to the garment, blessed people. Can we then look at the garment of the Lord? The garment of righteousness. How then did Jesus process the church using the Holy Spirit that you may hold that, get a hold of that, and then on that day you may be among the number that I have seen walking, marching with their children, climbing the glorious stairs, and the cloud opened above the earth here, and they entered the glorious eternity of heaven, and then the cloud closed. So the book of Revelation, blessed people, Revelation chapter 11. You can read others. Let's read Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, for example. Revelation 19. Or Revelation chapter, chapter 3. Let's go for chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We will come to 19 verse 8. But let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse, let's just go from verse 16 probably. Revelation chapter 3. And then we'll come to Revelation chapter 19, the finest linen, bright and clean. Revelation chapter 3. Begin verse 14, if you will. Or 15. Even verse 16. He says here, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know you are deep. You are neither cold nor hot. Again, Revelation chapter 3, we are reading from verse 15, blessed people. And it beautifully says here to the church in this year, the church in Laodicea says, I know you are deep. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. In other words, if you are cold, the hot gospel, the hot gospel, the fiery gospel of the Holy Spirit would have come and changed you because you would be in need. But you are lukewarm, he says. He's saying here. So you are confusing to him. Are you born again or you are not? So he's saying here, I know you are deep, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the two, one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. And you do not need a thing. But you do not realize 
that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. I want to end there, blessed people, with this part. So what is the message? What is the Lord saying to you on how to prepare? He's saying here, blessed people, before we got Revelation 19, verse 8, which says, Finest linen, bright and clean, was given to the church to enter heaven, eternity in heaven with the bride. To enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb. But here, you see the Spirit of the Lord was speaking, Christ the Messiah was speaking to the church in Lodicea. And he found that, in fact, I could say outrightly, right away from the onset, that what was happening in the church in Lodicea is what you see happening today in the present-day church at the same time. But at that time, there was a problem in Lodicea. They had received the Lord, and after receiving the Lord, then they blended their salvation with the world. They went ahead and did what you see the present-day church, your modern-day church, has done. And he's saying that that church was now eventually lukewarm. In other words, you would not know whether they are born again or not if you met the Christians on Monday in town. You would not know who is a Christian. Short miniskirt tight trousers, they are doing the same thing, they are meeting in the pubs after work, where alcohol is being drunk, they are also seated there, they say, no, I'm not drinking alcohol, I'm only drinking Coca-Cola. But you didn't tell who is born again, who is not. They are neither here nor there. And when you look at them in church on Sunday, they transplanted, supplanted the same worldliness into salvation, into the church like you see today. And that's why the Lord comes out in the strongest terms to tell them, no, your assessment, the way you are estimating your salvation for eternity is not right. You are going nowhere. You are not going to climb up there. The Lord rebukes them. And he tells them that I know in Lodicea you are wealthy. Look at this generation. You can tell that this generation is slightly better off in terms of worldly things than the generation past. And that same thing was happening there in Lodicea, where by now that church, that generation, they are wealthier. That's why he's talking to them about the gold. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich 
because they thought they were wealthy. They estimated themselves and they thought they were wealthy. Why? Because the Lodicians were doing generally well compared to other people. They are the greater prosperity, beloved people. There was a thriving economy. They are banking sector, the gold. The gold is the banking sector because people bank in gold, bars of gold. So their banking, their monetary economy was superior. Born again. And yet they thought that those things that mattered in the world are the ones that actually also mattered, infiltrated into the salvation and made them in the spiritual sense also lofty, and yet absolutely not. The Lord comes to reprove them, to rebuke them. He says, you are not, you are not wealthy. They use the worldly standard to admit the spiritual things of God, to admit the worshipping of God, Jehovah. So they were literally known for the following, the Lodicians, they were known for their strong economy, the banking sector, the bars of gold. They were known for their garment industry, if you will, you can say textile. That's why he talks about garment. And they were known also for their pharmaceutical industry. That's why he talks about the salve of the eyes. Part of the things they were making were the eye ointments that had antibiotic activity. They had special plants in that region where they extracted some, some products, some, some uh, extracts from plants with antibiotic, pharmaceutical value, with antibiotic activity. That's why they were using now to clean, to heal. And so, superior in that kind of industry, the, 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 the financial and the textile and now the, the, the medicine or the pharmaceutical. Then the Lord comes and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to them now in those terms. And he says, oh, how I wish you were wise. How come you've not understood what matters to Yahweh? You are thinking that the gold, the gold that you have is what matters. The way you see the present-day church. The present-day church. The gold. The prosperity of the time. The things of the world. And then they are saying unto themselves that we are doing well also spiritually. That is their measure. But he comes to them and says, Oh, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined from fire. In other words, they did not have faith. He was saying, how come you can't learn the role I play in Christian salvation? I, the Holy Spirit. That when the Messiah came, I am the one who descended on him, empowered him, and took him into the wilderness and passed him through the fire of trial. And what came out of there was sparkling gold, more precious than the gold of Lodicia. And he's saying, how come you can't tell that what will 
eternity that have been lowered up above the earth is that if you will have the faith, the faith that has been purified through the fire of trial like the Messiah and becomes now more precious than the gold of this world. How come you can see the role of the Holy Spirit in purifying your faith? And he says in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, When the Son of Man comes, shall he find anything left at all on the face of the earth? He's telling them faith, faith, a, a tested faith, a tried faith, a purified faith, purified by the Holy Spirit, is more precious than rubies, than diamonds, than gold. And then he comes to them and talks to them also about their nakedness. He says, look, you are so good in the textile industry, but how come you can't understand that without righteousness, he says, behold, I come like a thief, and blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his garment of righteousness with him. Otherwise, he will go naked. Without righteousness, you are naked. And you hear the Lord asking the same thing to the present-day church. How come you can't tell that in your rejection of righteousness, you are literally nude? You are naked before the Lord and the nation. You are soon going to be put to shame. He's saying that righteousness is what the Holy Spirit, when He comes, he centralizes, he champions in the Christian salvation of the grace. And yet the present day church has rejected righteousness. Women are nude. Abortions are the church. Homosexuality is the church. Homosexuals are being anointed in the church. People are walking secular lives. They are walking lukewarm salvation like the church in Lodicia. Today they are born again. Tomorrow they go to university, as students they are not born again. Tomorrow in church they are serving the Lord, the next day they are drinking alcohol, and they are dating men, dating women. Homosexuals are being anointed. What kind of church is this? How can you make it to the glorious stairs, the glorious eternity that I've seen coming in the horizon? How? The church in Odyssey. And he says, blessed people, that that church was wealthy. Wealthy and wealthy. They were wealthy in gold. The banking industry, that is banking. The monetary industry was quite good. Their textile industry was quite advanced. And they thought they were wealthy, so they were proud. They were estimating themselves before the Lord with a higher estimation. And then the Lord told them, look, you are wretched and pitiful. In fact, I'm about to teach you. Why? Because what really is wealth? 
told them, not those bars of gold, but the dry faith. Look at what he says in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which, perish, which perishes even though refined by fire, this is the gold of this world, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus comes, when he's revealed. This is amplified. Let me summarize for you. He says that genuine faith is the proven faith. It is the tested faith. It is the tried faith. The faith that has been, that has been tried and passed through fire. He says that faith now is proven and And then he was essentially telling them, look, you are blind. You think you are using eye ointment that was a well-developed part of your pharmaceutical industry, but you are blind. You cannot see. What does he mean by that? That they were lacking in the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can give you a spiritual vision can make your vision see the things of God. They thought they were seeing, and yet they were literally blind in the spiritual realm. Hey! You think you can see, and yet you are blind. So that is the processing that the Lord was bringing to the church in Lodicea. But you see now, that is the same processing that he's bringing to the present-day church. He says, come on now, stop for a moment. You need to start reevaluating, recalibrating your value system. You need to understand that as far as the glorious eternal kingdom of rapture, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of heaven, whose cares have been lowered for you, is concerned. That which you treasure as earthly wealth amounts to nothing. The true treasure is the tested faith that can never be shaken. Look at how these two prophets have come to do this. Why is God preparing them for this? I finish with the last scripture. Why is the Lord preparing them in this way? By testing their faith. I finish with the last scripture, blessed people. Isaiah chapter 60 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Isaiah 6 verse 3. And they were calling unto one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. A people of unclean lips, 
and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues the altar. With the tongues he touched my tongue and said, See, it has touched, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned from you. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I say, Here am I, send me. So look, why is Jesus preparing the church, even in that conversation from Lodicia that I've imported, I've renditioned into this message here today? Why is he preparing the church in earnest, using the Holy Spirit, and emphasizing the role of the advocate, the Holy Spirit, your defender, your counselor, your helper? Because as the church prepares to climb those stairs, when you climb those stairs, you are literally going to meet God the way Isaiah did. I remember in 2004, all the way, when I hit the landscape, I kept saying that I have come before the Lord. The Lord has called me before his throne. And the Lord, in that calling on that day, the ark of the covenant, the cherubim of glory, and the cloud of God came, and beyond that we cannot share. But the voice of the Lord spoke, and he said, From today on, your sin and your guilt has been taken away forever. From 2004, I kept announcing that. That now when I announce the Asian tsunami, I announce the Haiti earthquake, the Mexico earthquake, the Chile earthquake, he says, you have no guilt. Your sin and your guilt by voice before the throne of God, before God himself in the cloud. He says, from today on, your sin and your guilt has been taken away forever by voice. He said the very words he said to Isaiah here today here. He said before he that speaks with you. When he that speaks with you stood, when he, he knelt down essentially, by the way, before the ark of the covenant at the throne position and the cloud was standing. That from today on, you will never ever have any sin and any guilt in your life forever. This is what he was telling Isaiah here. But you can see very clearly that Christ the Messiah prepares the church today. Why? Because she is essentially going to meet her God. The way they were walking to Bethel, now in a hurry, now she's also hurrying to meet her God. But the Lord has sent the Spirit of God and these two prophets to tell the church, wait a moment, can we talk about preparation? Can we talk about the art, the art of meeting God? Isaiah wails here, say, wow, my sins have been laid to bear. My sins have been exposed, exposition. When you come before the Lord, your sins are exposition. That's why the tongue, the tongue with the hot coal touches tongue, purification. That's what Jesus came to do. That when that day to appear before the throne of God appears, that they realize it, that they come to completion, arise, that appointed time comes, you may appear as holy and righteous, 
purified of the Holy Spirit, wearing the finest linen, right and clean, which is the righteousness of the church. May the Lord bless you. Toda shalom. Toda rabah. Toda lachem. Baruch Hashem. May the Lord bless you, precious people. We will continue the conversation. The Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. Embrace the Holy Spirit. He is your helper. Be born again. For those who want to receive the Lord, repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I receive you tonight and repent of all my sins and ask you to establish the Holy Spirit and your word in my heart and prepare me by purifying my faith, testing my faith, seasoning my faith, that when the day of your coming arrives, I may be found to have been faithful to you, to have walked faithful to you, to have lived faithful to you, that I may climb those glorious stairs and see the eternal kingdom of God in heaven, that you have given me access to. In the mighty name of Jesus, I'm born again a man. If you say that prayer, be baptized in complete immersion, that the Holy Spirit may fill you and purify your faith. The Messiah is coming. I've seen the glorious stairs, Lord. I've seen the church climb up and go to heaven. Baruch Hashem. Toda, toda.